0: Church, but I was taught this just from uh, being in school, that the Bible and science cannot go together. They don't go together. I was taught that as well. Maybe you have experienced that too. And the purpose of this series is simply just for us to hit the pause button and, and ask you, would you just kind of think with us through this the recorded history of Genesis? You see, none of us, obviously, were there. And so in order to know for sure that something happened, we need eyewitnesses, right? And there are no living eyewitnesses who were there. But you know, God has provided us his eyewitness account, and he had it written down for us in this book of history called Genesis. And while we have grown up hearing that science is... Uh, that science says that the Bible is not true, that it's just a myth. There are many other scientists living today who actually would disagree with that statement. And they would say, looking at the very same data that secular science, scientists are looking at, they would say that science can agree with the historical record of Genesis. And we simply want you, at the end of this series, to be able to say, "Uh, okay, I, I see how that's a possibility. I see how that could be true. I see how that really could have happened. But honestly, in order for you to get to that point, I must encourage you to not miss any of these five weeks. And you can go back and pick those up either, Uh, on the Facebook Live broadcast that that just kind of uploads and hangs out there on our page, or you can go to SoundCloud, but please don't miss any of these five parts, and today we're in part number two, because each part is a vital part of this journey toward you being able to say, ah, I see how that's a possibility. Now, I've got my clothesline up here this morning, and I'm not sure you'll be able to read these words online, but I'm going to tell you what they say. Our folks in the theater can see them. Over here, we started last week, and we talked about creation how God's the creator, creator of the world, created and in six days, rested on the seventh. And then we talked about how on that sixth day, He created man, He created Adam. Adam had a big problem, though, because creation was only perfect until Adam and Eve sinned that first time. And at that point, creation broke, and it broke in a horrible way. Ten generations after Adam came this guy named Noah. And Noah shows up on the scene actually just a few years after Adam's, one of Adam's sons, dies. So there's the gap. Now they lived a long time back during the first thousand years of creation. So here comes Noah. Noah lands on the scene and God said Noah was the only law-abiding man who was there. And God says, I'm going to save Noah and his family, but I'm going to do away with everything else. God tells Noah to build an ark. And we're not sure when he tells Noah to build that ark. We could just speculate that maybe it took about 76, close to 100 years to build it. Maybe Noah was around just over 500 years old at that time. And God tells him to build the ark. We do know this, however, because we talked about this as well. God told Noah to fill the ark when Noah was 600 years old, one month and 10 days. God said, Noah... It's time to fill the ark and we said that Noah was not responsible to go out and trap those animals and drag them in. The scripture actually tells us that God sent every animal to to the ark that needed to be in the ark and he sent them in. Uh, so that was very thankful, I'm sure. 7 days after Noah was told to fill the ark, God said, "Noah, now it's time for you and your family and all the animals that are already in there, make sure now you and your family are inside the ark. So Noah enters the ark at his age, six hundred one month and 17 days old. That is what history tells us. That's what God has provided for us. The very same day that Noah enters the ark, that is how um, Scripture tells us at that point that the flood begins as soon as pretty much, well, not as soon as, but it says the same day that Noah entered the ark, that is when the flood begins. God is the one who shuts that door, and God shuts that door, and the flood starts. So the Bible tells us that this was a big, big deal. No ordinary flood, this is where we're picking up today, because last week we stopped when Noah entered the ark, and now, for three weeks, we're going to talk about, and then we're going to close it with one final week, but we're going to talk about the actual flood for the next three weeks. Um, so this word that is used in the Old Covenant in this historical narrative about the flood it uses a very specific word for the flood and that word is only used for this bit of history and that word is used one more time in the book of psalms where it is also describing this bit of history everywhere else the bible uses another word for flood but for some reason, God chose this word, very spe- for our, us in the English language, we just use the word flood, but in the Hebrew language, it's a very specific, very special, very unique word, because what we are getting ready to experience in the scripture is a very unique, not normal flood. You see, our idea of a flood, really, as we see, is when Park Avenue floods on a heavy rain, we have a lot of runoff, a lot of drainage problems, right? That's our idea of a flood. Um, But there's so much more here, what we're going to experience. It's not just a heavy rain. When we think of flood and we think of Noah's Ark, we kind of think of this giant boat that is called an ark that Noah was called to and told to build, and he builds it, and it floods, and it just kind of bobbles there on the water for a while, and then he gets to dry land. That's kind of what we think of, a nice children's story that involves all these animals coming on. How many times have we seen the picture of Noah's Ark in a nursery, a child's room, a child's room? Lots, right? Because it's a great kid's story. The problem is it's not a kid's story at all. It is not kid-friendly at all, at least the truth. This is about catastrophe, it's about death, it is about destruction. Everything that they knew when they got on the ark was not going to be the same when they came off the ark, including the topography of the earth. It was all different. This was destruction on a global scale. The book of Genesis chapter 7, let's read some verses here, starting with verse 11. What I've already told you, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, the sources of the watery depths burst open. We're going to pause here for a moment. Geologists pretty much agree that there's this theory called plate tectonics, that the entire globe is made up of uh, the crust of the earth, which sits on the mantle. The mantle is magma. If that, That's molten rock. If that magma ever breaks, the crust of the earth floats on. And geologists are pretty much in agreement that the crust of the earth is divided up into several, many, a handful of giant plates And their borders connect with each other. It's called plate tectonics. Generally agreed upon that these plates move around on the mantle of the earth. They're floating on, and it's the crust. There are several ways that these plates, these tectonic plates move. One of those ways, it is is a divergent move. What happens with a divergent move, if the plates, if this is a plate and this is a plate... Divergent means those plates are moving apart, creating space. And that space then magma comes up through that space, turns into lava as it hits the atmosphere or the water, and it fills in the space. So those plates are actually growing at that spot. That's divergent. There's another form of movement that's called convergent, which means two plates are coming together. So we're talking about the crust of the earth, miles deep, coming together. Now this would be quite an event. When they come together, if they're convergent, it means both plates, they hit each other and they go up like a mountain, right? They go up. That's convergent. There's another form of two plates going together, and that is called subduction, That is when one plate dives down under the other plate, and it goes into the mantle, the the magma of the earth, and the other plate goes up, also creating a mountain, okay? One dives down, that's that's subduction, and one goes up. There's a third type of movement they've identified, and that's when two plates are not crashing into each other, but they are... They are sliding past each other. Now, no new land is formed for that, but it is still violent. We see this in California at the San Andreas Fault with two plates slipping past each other. All right, That's called a, a transform uh, intersection, and they're just slipping past each other. Now, conventional, uh, conventional science tells us that plate tectonics moves very slowly and very gradually, very slowly and very gradually, one of those ways, all right? In fact, at this point, it's like it would be now, this is what conventional uh, science, conventional geology would say, the conventional perspective would say that the movement of these plates has been uniform since plates became plates on floating on the mantle of the earth that they move just a few centimeters a year very gradual You can't detect it as it moves, but if you were to mark it and measure it over the course of a year, it would be a few centimeters. And they say the conventional theory is that it has happened for millions and millions and millions of years that it has happened centimeters a year. But here's what I want to say. God gives us a possible hint that things as they are right now moving centimeters at a time a year may not have always been that way. The way things are today doesn't mean that's how they have always been. Interesting. If we were to grow at the same rate as children all the way through our lives, uh, something would be wrong, right? (laughs) We wouldn't be walking into this room Uh, At the heights we are and walking through the doorways. But when we grow physically, we grow very quickly and then things level off. And if you're like me, then we just start growing wider. (laughs) I don't know if you're like me or not. But with the earth, the, the conventional wisdom, the conventional theory is that the rate that things happen today and the way that things happen today, they have always happened that way. But God gives us a possible hint that maybe the way they are today is not the way they were when this was recorded for us, this bit of history. In other words, we can't take the present and what's happening and uniformly apply it to everything in the past And say that that's the way it's always been. Now, while God does not fill in all of these blanks for us, God does give us something to hold on to. And that's what we have here on our timeline. These are the bits of history regarding the flood that we have, anchor points of history that we can hold on to. And God gives us these anchor points without giving us all of the details. He doesn't fill in all of those blanks, but he sure does at this point right here. He sure does give us a hint that there very well was something catastrophic that happened to start the flood. We are told all of the sources of the watery depths burst open. Now, we often focus on the rain, don't we, when we talk about the flood? But that's not what God says happened first. Another translation says, All of the fountains of the great deep were broken up. Now, scientists who hold the Bible in high regard believe that that event, whatever it might have been, that is what started the flood And there are many, many scientists who hold the Bible in high regard that think that catastrophic event was not tectonic plates as normal, centimeters a year, but what we have a hint of is possibly the start of what is called catastrophic plate tectonics. It would be the cataclysmic movement of those tectonic plates. Not centimeters a year, but meters per second. Catastrophic. It it was perhaps the start, this massive movement, this massive destructive movement of the tectonic plates, maybe up to about four miles Per hour, we're talking about the crust of the earth moving on the, as these plates at possibly four miles an hour. Now, computer analysis would, has, has deemed this and termed this runaway subduction. Remember, subduction is one plate diving into the mantle under another and lifting the other one up. Runaway subduction... And it would be, a, as the computer analysis has revealed, a destructive force in many ways. As one plate moves down and plunges into the mantle, if, so here's the one that's coming up, here's the one that's going down, if the heat from the friction, if it is dispersed quickly enough, then that plate moves at a centimeters a year. It moves very slowly. The friction slows it down. But computer analysis has shown that if that heat is not dispersed quickly, that that plate then, at that moment, begins, there's, the, the friction is less and that plate begins to move quicker and that's where they discovered it could indeed move not centimeters a year but now with less friction this um this cataclysmic subduction would then move meters per second towards 4 miles per hour 4 miles in an hour that is billions of times faster than the normal rate of plate tectonics that we see today. And if that is happening, then that means it is is a billion times faster that the ocean floor is growing as plates are coming apart in a divergent way. It means that the continents are breaking apart in an amazing way. See, we talked about here, over here on creation, I'm kind of jumping backwards, McKinley, I'm sorry. You don't have to go that with me if if you can't find it. We talked about how on creation, day number three, that God caused the planet was this giant watery globe. And on day three of creation, God caused the land to come up and it separated the water from the land. Most geologists today believe that the uh that there used to be the conventional method would say uh, millions of years ago uh, those who hold the bible in high regard would say um about you know 6 to 10,000 years ago there used to be one single giant landmass one we see at the flood that this begins to break apart this amazing subduction, runaway subduction, and that means that some of the plates are divergent, and at four miles an hour, they're separating, and if that is happening, so they're coming together, if they're convergent, if they're subduction, it's going under, or if it's divergent, it's coming apart at four miles per hour, that is amazing And the amount of force and the amount of change, I mean, thats we can walk four miles an hour quickly. And that's how fast entire tectonic plates potentially were moving. Growing the ocean floor, breaking apart the continents from one giant continent to the many continents. And that is what creation scientists believe possibly happened that's their theory at the moment theories change as we know more but that's a current theory and that also happens to be what seismic tomography and the testing of the earth and the mantle seems to be telling us very possibly could have happened just thousands of years ago Now, if runaway subduction did happen, then there are some logical conclusions to that. Computer simulations tell us, and here's one of those. Here's a computer simulation. Of course, they're proposing that this happened in a conventional way, which was millions and millions of years. But notice those continents now on the plates. They're beginning to break apart. And you see them, some of are coming together, some are going apart, but you see them beginning to move and change the shape from one giant continent to many continents on different plates. The logical conclusion would be, if this really did happen, computer simulations tell us more. Here would be some results. We already talked about runaway subduction. And that's ha- if that's happening here, we're now, now they have paused, that simulation has paused to about the present, uh, pretty much that is the present condition of where those plates and the continents sit now. But if it did happen, then the tectonic plates over in some of these areas where you see like uh, North America, South Africa, and Africa, North America, South America, and Africa, those were torn apart. They were ripped apart. And where they were ripped apart, that is where, so those plates would be ripped apart, mantle, the mantle would send magma up, and once it hit the water there under the oceans, it would uh, then turn into lava under the oceans, and it would erupt out of that space, moving apart at four miles an hour, it would erupt out of that space with a fury across every one of those uh, places where they were divergent, where they were coming apart, all through that ocean. And, and it, would just, it would have been an amazing, unbelievable... Un, we couldn't imagine that really. The mantle would erupt lava out with a fury across every one of those plate boundaries. And as it was coming apart, that would be new ocean floor being created from that lava that was moving into the uh, ocean basin, creating new ocean floor at meters per second. Now, when this hot lava would hit that ocean, that colder water, on this kind of enormous global scale that we're talking about, this picture doesn't do it justice, but it's the best I could could come up with, all along those uh, plate boundaries where that would happen, and this is happening so fast, and it is building under... Uh, ocean mountains out of lava so fast, so much is hitting it, there would be a, an enormous geyser all along the entire boundary that's growing at four miles an hour. And it would, because the lava's hot, hitting the ocean water, it would shoot a massive geyser straight up into the atmosphere. And that geyser would be steam immediately turning the ocean water to steam as it shoots all the way up. It it would be almost like you were looking at uh, possibly a, a mushroom cloud from an atomic bomb, perhaps, happening worldwide at every plate boundary that's under the ocean floor. This new, hot, molten mountain... All along that boundary is rising up, shooting steam into the atmosphere, and we can't conceive how much that would be. And that ocean floor is rising up, changing the level of the ocean by kilometers. So the ocean, this is coming up, and it's less room for the water, so the water is pushed up onto the continents. This is rising up in a colossal way giving us our first flooding and the beginning of the flood of the continent. And it yet, it, it hasn't rained yet. This is rising up. Waves are crashing not onto the beach. They are crashing now deep into, onto the continents. This is flooding on a global scale. So the Bible tells us on that day, all the sources of the watery depths, they burst open. And then it says the floodgates of the sky were opened and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now a lot of times we see that as a period right there, 40 days and 40 nights. It's very possible that those, that massive rain that began to happen was a direct result of the atmosphere immediately changing as all of that moisture evaporated from the ocean, sent deep, deep, deep into the atmosphere, now begins to cool and it falls as a torrential rain on the earth. Very possible that that's what happened. Water turned into steam, and the intensity is catastrophic. It is catastrophic plate tectonics. It is a torrential rain, and yes, it did continue for 40 days and 40 nights, but it didn't stop. The Bible tells us in verse 17, the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and lifted the ark so that it rose above the earth. So it took about 40 days and 40 nights before the ark was actually lifted and the water was deep enough to lift the ark way above the earth. Verse 18, the waters surged so they kept what was going on kept happening. They surged and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water, verse 19. Then the water surged even higher on the earth, and all the mountains under the whole sky. Now, granted, the mountains were smaller at this moment, but they were building because of what was happening. All the mountains were under Under the whole sky they were covered, verse 20. The mountains were covered as the waters surged above them more than 20 feet, verse 21. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth as well as all mankind. Everything with breath, verse 22 tells us, everything with breath of the spirit of life in his nostrils, everything on dry land died. He wiped out every living thing that was on the surface of the ground from mankind to livestock to creatures that crawled to the birds of the sky and they were wiped off the earth. And it says only Noah was left and those that were with him on the ark. Now, don't miss this. It may have taken 40 days to lift that ark with the waters above the earth. And then the flood waters were 20 feet above the highest mountains. Before the rain and the breaking up of that earth's crust, guess what? It did not stop at 40 days. In verse 24, we're told that the waters surged on the earth for 150 days. For 150 days, one giant continent that is splitting apart into separate continents with the force and a power that is unimaginable to us, ripping apart at places, colliding into each other at other places, possibly at four miles an hour for 150 days. And how do we know this? Because in the next chapter, we find that God, at the end of this 150 days, actually then closes the sky, it stops raining, and all of the things that were breaking up on the crust of the earth stop at that rate. That's how we know that. For a, it was not just a forty-day and forty-night deluge. For a hundred and fifty days, things were breaking up down here, and things were torrential up here. Wow. Some scientists estimate that the continents were being covered by tsunamis, those giant, enormous waves, but these would be of a scale that we have never seen. (laughs) Kilometers high. Some of them estimate that there was a, a tsunami around the globe, somewhere around the globe, for 150 days, that there was one per hour. A colossal tsunami. And those were happening from catastrophic plate tectonics, plate movement. As the continents collide, here's what causes a tsunami in in the plate tectonics version. As the continents collide, the subduction version where one goes under, and if this is happening under the ocean... As one goes down and one comes up, sometimes the one that's going up, the, the edge of that plate will catch onto the one that's diving down, and it will bend it back. It only bends it back to a point. Once it reaches enough tension, then the, this plate then thrust itself up off of that plate, and when that happens under the water, an enormous... Tsunami is formed, and it sends it that way. And and, and the theory is that that one per hour of giant kilometers high, continent-covering tsunamis, one per hour for 150 days while this monumental, catastrophic plate movement is happening under the water. And by this time, it's all moving under the water. So as those continents collide, as they slip past each other, as they go under each other, as they hit and go up, whatever's happening at whatever place, earthquakes are the result. Vast mountain ranges are created higher and higher, meter by meter every second as they are growing. And immediately as they're growing, they're underwater As they're growing, the the massive water movement, it is not just this. The massive water movement across, typing away the tips of these mountains as soon as they're forming. Amazing changes to the topography and what's happening to the earth. Monumental changes. As one plate continues to slip under the other and sections get caught and then folding up momentarily and then that pressure builds up and it flows, pops, sends that wave. Tsunami after tsunami after tsunami. Not on the beach. We're talking about continent-covering devastation. This was a global disaster, not just a little local thing. And 150 days until God would put a stop to what was happening underneath and what was happening above. And then the plates, by that 150 day, it's estimated the plates had moved into the positions very much like where they are today, very similar. And at that point, the rain stops, and the flood has now reached its highest point, and the destruction is exactly as God described in the historical text of Genesis. It has taken the entire earth back to the state where it was on day three of creation where all the earth, before the, the the earth came up out of the ground, all the earth was a watery globe. And that's where we are now in this historical event. God is destroying the earth. And he's using the earth to destroy the earth. It was a massive destruction. And I just want to ask, don't answer out loud, you see i mean i mean it's possible we don't know the details everyone who offers a, a, an explanation it's just a theory we weren't there we don't have the details but do you agree it's a possibility you see geologists today agree at one time they believed the continent was one the the world landmass was one big continent They agree on that today. Geologists today agree that the the continents were made up of the whole crust of the earth, made up of plates, these tectonic plates, and that the movement of those tectonic plates have created the present-day configurations of the continents. Geologists, all of them pretty much today agree. Geologists today pretty much agree that the volcanic and the earthquake activity, because of the movements of those plates, they agree that that is what has created most of this topography. But what they don't agree on is how fast it happened. Did it happen centimeters at a time, like it happens today? (laughs) Have you ever seen a mountain created? in your lifetime, centimeters at a time. But does it happen today at centimeters at a time, which would mean the earth is much older than we think it is? Or is the biblical historical record right that potentially this happened very quickly and the breaking up of the earth's crust very quickly and the cataclysmic uh, activity under the ocean floors forever changed the landscape of Earth, just think about it. Geologists agree that these mountain ranges were formed by the movement of tectonic plates. They agree with that. the smoky mountains they agree with that. the Appalachian mountains they agree with that, but were they formed centimeters at a time over the course of millions of years? Think about it. the Colorado Rockies, the Himalayan mountains. They were formed by the movement of the tectonic plates, but were they formed moving centimeters at a time over the course of millions of years? I can't even crumple the hood of my car moving at centimeters at a time over the course of a minute. I can scratch the paint. Can we push up? Those mountains, centimeters at a time, with movement over the course of a year? The biblical history suggests that there was geologic, catastrophic, unequaled movement that reached a point where it began then to taper off toward the movement that we have today, a slow movement. Mount Everest in the Himalayan mountains today, the tallest mountain in the world, and it is still, at this point today, it is is rising at a rate of about one centimeter a year, even today. Now, if that was formed, if that itself, that one centimeter a year, is what formed the Himalayan mountains And if it has happened for as long as we are told that the Himalayan mountains have been around, which is 50 million years, then that should make Mount Everest about 400 kilometers high instead of eight. I I, I tell you for me, as I have read and I have studied and I have researched what the researchers and the scientists have presented, I believe, that something cataclysmic happened in our earth's history to create such towering mountains and geologic formations around the globe. And the Bible just so happens to give us an anchor point. A few. A few anchor points that we can hang on to so that we can have an understanding of at least of what was going on, even though God didn't give us the details. They point us in the right direction. And he tells us this because we weren't there. And one of those anchor points is the global flood. Just think about it. It could have really happened. It's possible. And if you think yes yes, I think it just might be possible, then I just want you to know you're in great company because Jesus did too. Now, here's a disclaimer before I go any further. I want you to know this, that your view, your personal view on the flood is not a requirement for your salvation. Jesus did not say anywhere in the New Covenant that whosoever comes to me and admits that the world is much, much younger than the textbooks say that it is. And whosoever believes with me about the flood, you will be saved. Now, he never said that. But do you know what he did say? Let me tell you what he did say. Jesus said the flood was real. And if I'm going to have to choose, I'm going to go with the guy who was there. Luke chapter 17, verse 25, Jesus, his own words, he says this, but first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. Let me kind of tell you what he's talking about. Jesus is saying to the people listening to him, hey guys, I I need you to know, be aware, I, I'm going to die for you. In verse 26, he goes on. He says, when the Son of Man returns. So let me catch you up with what he's saying there. He's saying, okay, I'm going to die. But I'm going to walk out of the tomb alive, defeating death. And then after a little while, I'm going to head to heaven where where God the Father is. So God the Son is going to be with God the Father in heaven and God the Spirit. But, but Jesus says, I'm coming back. And it's going to be a surprise. You have no idea when I'm coming. So here's how he says that. He says, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Verse 27. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. He goes on, right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed, when he's saying when he comes back. He's saying just like in the day of Noah when they had no idea when the flood was coming, it was a surprise. But those who had access to the ark, salvation was provided to them. By God, because he gave them the plans for the ark. Now, Jesus is saying, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But right now, at this moment, in the year 2020, Jesus is our hope and our salvation today. Today. My friends, because apart from submitting to Jesus, we are desperately and eternally separated from God because of our sinful choices. And we have a choice, though. We can continue to hang on to our own lives and our own choices and the way we want to do things and the way we want to view things and how we think the world should work to please us and all those things that we want. We can hang on to that. And we are guaranteed we will lose forever. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13... Verse 33, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let go of your life, the implication here is letting go of your life and giving it to Jesus. He said, if you let go of your life, you will save it. Jesus died so that we don't have to be separated from him for eternity. Not only did Jesus die for us, but Scripture tells us he came looking for us. Just another couple chapters down, Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said this, for the Son of Man, that's another term for Jesus, he said, for I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And if you have not surrendered the ownership of your life to Jesus, he is at this very moment, right here, right now, and he's looking for you. Whether you're in this theater with us or you're watching from home, he's looking for you. Listen to the words of Jesus just a couple more chapters down into Luke 24, verse 46. And here's what Jesus said, Yes. It was written long ago, the dead on the third day, verse 47. It's also written that this message would be proclaimed in authority in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And here's that message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. This is not a Noah episode where God called out one family. He said to every single soul and person that will repent, that means turn directions of their life, there is forgiveness of sin for each one of us who choose to do it. We simply repent. We simply turn from our own way, my way, your way, and we turn and follow Jesus and his way and his way alone right now. If you will do that, I'm asking you right now, will you mark on your connection card before you turn it in, the paper version, or if you're using the online version, will you mark that before you hit submit? Will you choose This day, right now, to turn from your way and follow Jesus. Join me as we pray. Jesus, some of of us in this very room and listening online right now, we need to choose you. Some of us are admitting that we have sinned by choosing our own way over your way. And we are turning our lives right now around. And we're asking you, Jesus, to forgive us for rejecting you by the way that we have lived. And we are saying thank you for paying the price for our sins. And we are committing to follow you for the rest of our lives. And you, Jesus... You now, for those who are submitting to you, have ownership of our lives. It is in your name we pray these things. Amen.